This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to For Your Benefit, presented by NITP, the federal leader in retirement planning seminars sponsored by WEPA. Join NITP for an hour of plain talk on planning your future. You've got questions, they've got answers. Good morning and welcome to the December 20th. 2021 for your benefit radio show we're here today to go to the wayback machine with tom o'rourke and and what i mean by that is tom introduced me to the radio many 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 years ago in a uh, studio in dc and i had all my tax books i had a whole briefcase right tom and oh you did brought the whole library and, and, and Tom uh, basically said, you don't need that. Uh, just follow the lead. And that's what I've been doing for the last 30-some years. Anyway, good morning, Tom. Good morning, Bob. It's good to be here. Uh, it's great to have you here. And we're going to be talking taxes, but we're going to be talking understandable taxes. And we're probably going to be looking at ways to save taxes. And uh, I guess we were looking at potential change in uh, the tax law, but I'm, I'm listening to the radio this morning, and it sounds like that's not going to happen anytime soon. Well, yeah, Bob, just before we came on, I was listening to the uh, WFED newscast, and apparently the Build Back Better Act that did have a number of tax changes in is not likely to pass by the end of the year. Uh, it, it it could pass in the future, but as of right now, we're just going to kind of maintain the status quo. Um, I, I know at the beginning of the year, anybody who's in the tax field envisioned major, major changes in the tax law that could have affected many people. And essentially, none of those proposals were passed. Uh, some of them are still being kicked around and considered, but they haven't been enacted as of yet. I, I uh, remember, or I, I can conjure up the image of one that I, I found uh, not surprising, but they wanted to uh, put a stop to the backdoor Roth. Uh, we needn't get into any tangents early in the show to talk about the backdoor Roth, but it, it sounds kind of um, sleazy, but it was um, it was nice um, um, provision uh, that people, I guess, could do. I don't know whether they uh, can't do anymore. But anyway, Tom, why don't we uh, just zero in right away, start of the year, tax code changes that we know uh, are going to be implemented? Well, there, there are certain changes every year, Bob, that are always based on inflation. And we know those are will become law as of uh, January 1st, 2022. Uh, every year, uh, the various brackets change based on inflation. Uh, the This year, uh, the standard deduction, which was significantly increased as part of the 2017 Trump tax bill, uh, was significantly increased. And um, the ability to contribute to the TSP on a tax-deferred basis or to a 401k plan, if any of our listeners are not federal folks, uh, that that's going to become effective. Next year, all individuals who participate in the TSP will be able to contribute $20,500 if, if they wish and if they, they can afford to do so. And for our listeners who are age 50 or older, they'll be able to contribute uh, a total of $27,000 next year. So those changes, which are part of the, the, the regular uh, inflation adjustment changes were increased. And those we definitely know are going to happen. Okay. Tom, when you mentioned this term called standard deduction, uh, for the listeners, uh, I'll do the 1,000-mile view. Uh, Tom will correct me, I'm sure. But you can, when you do your tax return, in order to reduce your, quote, taxable income, in other words, save taxes, you can either claim itemized deductions where you would show taxes, interest, charitable donations, etc., or some people don't have maybe a home, so they don't have real estate taxes, they don't have mortgage interest necessarily. So the law, this has been in, the, in play for many, many years, it was called a standard deduction, it was just a flat amount. But as a taxpayer, we could choose whichever one is higher, 
but it was up to us. I mean, Congress wasn't going to tell us you have to do this or you don't have to do that, but uh, we would look at it, and sometimes people pay a lot more attention to this at the end of the year because there's no more tomorrows after December 31st this year with regards to claiming tax deductions. Am I right with that, Tom? You absolutely are. And uh, I maybe you were going to get to this, but there was a major change in 2017 where Congress not only limited some common itemized deductions, it also significantly increased the amount of the standard deduction. Uh, I, I know for my, just from my own personal situation, one of the biggest deductions I claimed when I would itemize would be a deduction for state and local income taxes. Um, and as, as I know you know, Bob, and probably most of our listeners also know, that starting in with 2018 and later, the ability to deduct state and local income taxes was uh, drastically reduced. Now, the maximum state and local income tax deduction anybody can claim is $10,000. And that's $10,000 whether you're married or whether you're single. And I have a lot of two-income clients where both the husband and wife have jobs. And the amount of state income taxes they pay alone is in excess of $10,000. So uh, I, I don't know whether the purpose of the 2017 Tax Act was to encourage people to claim the standard deduction, but it certainly had that impact. And, and I know I, I read an article in the Wall Street Journal not too long ago where they said after the passage of the 2017 Tax Act, 90% of individual taxpayers now claim the standard deduction rather than itemized, rather than itemizing their deductions. And you're spot on with that. But, Tom, is there a way for somebody, maybe this time of year, to think about next year or between now and the uh, end of the 31st of December, there are certain things that you might be able to do to claim deductions that would benefit you now rather than wait till later. And yeah. we won't get into the fog of standard versus itemized, but tax planning is sometimes um, for many people best done on the final week or two of, of the year because it's no more tomorrows. That's true. Uh, and this is the time of year that uh, many charities look forward to uh, because one of the uh, very conventional uh, ways to minimize your tax liability is make charitable contributions. Charitable contributions have always been fully deductible as an itemized deductions. And even if you don't itemize for this year only, you can claim up to a $600 uh, charitable deduction, even if you don't itemize or $300 if you're single. So giving to charity is, is always a way to reduce your taxes. Uh, secondly, for listeners who are investors, if, if you invest, it's not unusual that on occasion you're going to have some losses. Uh, maybe you'll want to take those losses, sell that stock that has gone down in value somewhat, and that can be used to offset your income. You can always deduct any losses you have fully to offset any any capital gains that you may have. And even if your losses exceed your capital gains, you can deduct up to $3,000 a year in losses. Uh, that's one thing you can do. Uh, the, the best tax saving opportunity, at least in my judgment, for any federal employee is to, to max out on the TSP, but you're a little late to do that now. Uh, you've only got one pay period left for the end of the year. And even if you do decide to increase your contributions, uh, your your payroll office may not be able to process the paperwork quick enough for it to do any good for you this year. Uh, there, there may be a few individuals out there uh, who may be able to deduct a contribution to a traditional IRA, but most federal employees can't deduct contributions to a traditional IRA because their income is, is too high. Uh, so th those are just a, a few things that I can think of right off the top of my head. Uh, one of the things that we always advise our business clients to do 
is, you know, if you want to artificially reduce your income, just don't send out your bills until after the year. If you don't bill it, you won't get paid. But uh, most federal employees are wage earners, and, and that's not an issue with them. And I've, I've found uh, federal employees, uh, sometimes it doesn't violate any um, ethics rules. Uh, they might do consulting on the side. They probably should not do consulting for the same thing they do on the job, but uh, it might be with regards to something else. Now, I'm not saying that they're do- doing a lot of this, but um, it's lucrative. But when they get paid, generally speaking, it's without any federal or state taxes withheld because they're, quote, in business as a consultant. Um, but there are certain business expenses that they can claim. But like everything else, if they're not paid by the end of the year, they're not pay, They're not deductible until paid. So you find the last week or so of the year, which we're going into, uh, people uh, would pay attention to that. Does it make sense to do it now? Which seems to be the general rule. If it isn't, then you do it next year. But it's, quote, year-end tax planning. And I'd imagine you spend a lot of time um, emailing on the phone or whatever else, uh, uh, talking to clients that call up, can I do this? Um, my friend said I can do this. <laughs> well, uh, now that you mention that, Bob, one of the worst sources of tax advice is your brother-in-law or your friend. Uh, unless your brother-in-law or your friend, A, is a knowledgeable tax professional, or B, uh, and B, also has a keen insight into your personal financial situation. Just taking off-the-cuff advice from your neighbor or your friend who seems to be a pretty successful person is not a good idea. Uh, that's, that's when they should call Bob Lines and ask him, Bob, is this a good idea? And you'll, you'll tell them yes or no based on your knowledge of their situation. Actually, I um, I have a lot of fun with that. Uh, with regards to talking with clients, for the most part, I, I don't speak like an accountant and talk in taxis. I try to make it make sense. And um, the, the, usually the response is, I, I, I can't do that. Why can't I do that? Or is there a way around this? And there are ways, quote, around it that are certainly legal, but sometimes that's costly or somebody feels that maybe that's violating some kind of moral code and there's nothing wrong with that but uh, we always provide advice here's black here's white and here's some gray but safe gray yeah bob your 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 comment just reminded me of of two common comments i've gotten uh in seminars this year Uh, one is for the last year and a half I've been told I'm not allowed to go to work, but I got to do my job. I got to work from home and I am incurring expenses, additional expenses by working at home. I should be able to deduct that as a home office expense. And I unfortunately proceed to tell them, well, there, there are fairly strict requirements for claiming a home office deduction or there always were, but then in, 2017, one of the changes to the tax law was to completely eliminate a category of deductions called miscellaneous itemized deductions, one of which was the home office deduction. And after generally going through some explanation of what you need to do to satisfy the requirements to claim a home office deduction, then I tell them that even if you could have claimed it in 2017, you can't claim it now. And the common response I get is that's not fair. And I, my all my very common response to the it's not fair question is always doesn't need to be fair, doesn't need to make sense. It's the law. Uh, the oh. other the, the the other comment that I've got uh, in in my bio when I teach seminars, I always tell people where I went to school. And, and two of the schools I went to were, were Georgetown and Notre Dame. And I, in explaining the backdoor Roth, some lady raised her hand and she said, Tom O'Rourke, you should be ashamed of yourself. You went to good Catholic schools and they should have taught you, you don't go through the back door. If you can't claim it, you can't claim it. And 
she made it sound like her. I, I guess uh, the na- the term backdoor Roth IRA uh, sort of conjures up the notion that you're doing something sneaky and illegal that you shouldn't be doing. Uh, but it is, as of as of now, uh, a perfectly legitimate tax saving strategy. And and I I, I believe that in in past seminars you or excuse me in past shows you spent maybe a fair amount of time talking about uh, backdoor Roth IRA and and as as you mentioned very briefly in your earlier comments there is the the Build Back Better legislation that is still pending in the Senate uh, does impose certain restrictions on the ability to take advantage of that but it it again it it's may not sound right, but it is. Okay, so let's pick up uh, a little bit more on the backdoor Roth after we take a break. Federal open season is over, but there's never been a better time to reevaluate your life insurance coverage. Get life insurance for less with WEPA. WEPA has been insuring the future of federal employees for more than 75 years. WEPA can be used as a supplement or replacement for your existing policy and can cost less than Fegley. In fact, on average, members who switched from Fegley to WEPA saved over $290 a year. Although open season is over, you can apply anytime for WEPA group term life insurance. See how much you could save by visiting waepa.org today. WEPA. For feds, by feds. Welcome back to For Your Benefit. We're here today, December 20th, 2021. And with Tom O'Rourke, Esquire attorney par excellence, and um, actually the, the, the individual that got me into doing radio. Thank you, Tom. Good to be talking with you again today, as we do oftentimes during the year. Well, you're certainly welcome, Bob. And you've you've gone on to much greater heights than your mentor ever dreamed of. <laughs> uh, only because of the people I knew. <laughs> anyway, so we were talking about this thing called the backdoor Roth. We'll just give it a little bit more because the, the name usually has people just turn around and say, I, I don't want to do anything like that. It sounds like it's uh, you know illegal or immoral or something. It's not. It's perfectly legal. It's just some people can't put money into a Roth IRA because their income's too high. Like many provisions in the tax law, they're driven by minimum, maximum opportunities. And if your income exceeded a certain amount, you couldn't do it. But this was a legitimate way uh, to do it. Didn't require a whole lot of um, forethought, but it did require that you do do some things. We don't know where it's going because as I was coming down here uh, today, the um, there was a senator that basically uh, took this, these changes in the tax law and says, uh, time out, we're going to take our time passing this. So I'm not so sure how, how it's going to happen. But if it happens, it happens. For those of you that are interested, you can still read about uh, backdoor Roth. You can just Google, how do I do a backdoor Roth? But Tom, beyond going in the back door, how about uh, front door moves <laughs> between now and the end of the year? Well, Bob, I, I, I pretty much exhausted my laundry list. They're really, when, when you get to late December in a year, there's very limited opportunities you have to take steps to minimize taxes. We've, we've kind of touched on the major ones. Make charitable contributions, delay receipt of income to the extent you have any control over that, uh, take advantage of the ability to sell any assets that have declined in value and may generate a loss. Uh, Those are pretty much the steps you can take. And, but while you're thinking of it, you certainly can plan ahead for 2022. You have the whole year ahead of you and you can take steps to minimize your tax liability for next year. Well put, and even, uh, I would say, spot on with regards to the economics. Taxes are nice. You know, you get a tax deduction, it's nice. But the economics should drive the decision. And the sooner you make the decision, so if we're talking about uh, beyond January 1st, 2nd, and and whatnot, in in a week or so, we ought to start thinking about, gee, I missed this opportunity in the prior year. I want to get on the bandwagon, so to speak, as soon as I can. 
and the current year. And that might be as simple as putting more money in the TSP, be it Roth or be it <clears throat> traditional and, and other things. But, Tom, in, in, in meeting with uh, clients over the years, <clears throat> what do you find surprising that they're unaware of? Well, I mean, they're many times unaware, un, unaware of many things. And be, because as, as everybody who deals with it knows, the tax code can be extremely complex. Uh, and the, the more you spend time studying the tax law, the more convinced you are that it's unbelievably complex. And Congress's greatest gift to all of us could be at some future point is that they simplify the code. But that's not something anybody sees in the short-term horizon. Um, in, in my experience, people oftentimes are unfamiliar with uh, the ability to put money into tax-deferred plans as a tax-saving tool. Uh, most employers, certainly the federal government, uh, has this thrift savings plan, which allows people to, to accomplish two goals. Uh, number one, they can set aside and save money for their retirement. And the, the funds that have been available in the thrift plan over the years have been performed very well financially. And I know the one statistic I like to quote uh, is that the the C fund has been in existence for over 30 years. And for over that 30 year period of time, it's fluctuated a lot. But if you put money in the thrift plan on day one, when it first became available and left it there until now, your average annual rate of return on the C fund has been a little more than 10% per year. And at that rate, you double your money every seven years. Now, if you're putting money into the traditional TSP, you also realize an upfront tax saving. And in, in my experience, uh, people, they, they, they know the thrift plan instinctively is a good idea but they don't really focus on the investment returns and the tax savings, the immediate tax savings, if they're putting money into the traditional TSP. So, so the and, traditional TSP is not the Roth, right? No, it's not the Roth. It's, it's the one where when you make an upfront contribution, you realize an immediate tax saving. I know I, I've got one example that I use in all my seminars where I tell people, look, if, even if you put your money in the TSP, the, the traditional TSP, you're, you're, you're ahead of the game. Uh, and the example I use is I, I have a taxpayer who between the state and federal government pays taxes at a 30% rate. They're in the 22% federal bracket, the 8% state tax bracket, and they put $5,000 into the TSP. Merely by putting money into the TSP, they're reducing their tax bill for that year by $1,500. So even if they don't make any money, even if they don't get a matching contribution, they have kept $1,500, which would have been lost uh, in, in taxes had they not made that contribution. So merely by participating, they're, they're making a wise economic decision because they're saving taxes. And where do those savings go? They go into a TSP account where they grow tax deferred as long as they remain in that account. Now, uh, for, for younger employees who may be at the lower end of the tax bracket, uh, maybe it's not as advantageous to you to put money into the traditional TSP. In your situation, it would be prudent to consider the advantages of putting money into the Roth TSP. You're giving up the upfront tax benefit, but you're still making an investment that is going to grow over time tax-free so that when you take money out of the thrift at the end of your career and when you're in a higher tax bracket, any withdrawals you make are going to be tax-free as long as you satisfy two simple requirements. That, that you control, whether you meet these requirements, you've got to be at least 59 and a half, and you must have had money in the account for five years. So I, in virtually every seminar I teach, what I emphasize is the, uh, the, the double benefit you get from putting money into any tax-deferred account, 
number one, you may realize an upfront tax benefit, but even if you don't, you realize a tax benefit on the back end. And number two, the TSP has proven to be a wonderful investment. And I know if, if you just go to Google and you type in TSP, you will find countless articles that discuss what a, what a model retirement plan it is because it's simple, it's easy to understand, and it's produced very good rates of return at very low cost. So uh, again, that's, that's always in all my classes, the, the point that I focus on more than any. Yeah, we we both uh, we both teach somewhat the same thing, but not the same thing because we talk to each other, and Tom's going to do X, Y, and Z, and I might do A, B, and C. And so the the bottom line to this is, people initially, when I when I talk to them, I say, you know, you should probably put some more money in um, because they're not fully uh, participating. They're participating maybe a little bit, uh, and they go, I can't. Uh, afford the, the full amount. And I understand that. Been there, done it. But I say, whatever you do, put something in it. So if you kind of establish that X dollars is going to be put aside and maybe it's not as much as we'd like, but it's what we can afford. And we work on increasing that to get to the max eventually. And eventually might be a few years away. But, you, you know, the, the first step, as they say. Yeah. Yeah. The first step is just get started. And uh, if, if nothing else, start out with whatever you can. I mean, the, the goal always for anybody covered by FERS is to contribute 5% of your salary because at that level, you qualify for the full government matching contribution. And in order to qualify, if, if you participate and if you're in the traditional TSP, you're realizing a double benefit. Number one, you're reducing taxes. Number two, you're getting a government matching contribution, and you can more than double your money in the very first year, barely by contributing 5%. And if you can't afford to do that, well, start out with whatever you can. Uh, and and if, if nothing else, try to increase the amount of your annual contribution every year by half or maybe the full amount of any raise you may get each year. Uh, so... Uh, again, it's 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 a strategy everybody can take advantage of. It, it's available to you whether or not you itemize deductions. So it's it's fairly easy, a good investment, a tax saving investment. All right. If we were to look at somebody at the beginning career, and Roth versus traditional, um, my my gut feel would be I would encourage them to put money into the Roth TSP because uh, at the beginning part of their career, their tax bracket isn't going to be uh, isn't going to be high, and over the years that money will grow and it'll be either tax deferred or tax free depending on which one you put in, and then maybe they look at it um, a few years mid career and and um, change change some now. I'm sure some of the people listening say people don't do that, but uh, I, I understand they don't do that. But that's why we try to talk them into looking at things a different way. It's not that whatever I have to say or Tom has to say is going to be applicable exactly to everybody listening, but hopefully everybody listening will pick something out and say, I didn't know I could do that. Yeah. And Bob, the, the comment I make at every seminar, I, I always talk about whether you should be putting your money in the traditional or the Roth DSP. And I always tell them there's only one correct answer to that question. And that answer is it depends because it varies depending <laughs> upon your, your particular situation. And it's not just uh, a double talk on the part of a, a, a professional. It, it really is true because some people are clearly better off putting money into the Roth DSP and others are clearly better off putting their money into the traditional TSP. And my comment is the only mistake you can make is not to participate at all. Uh, if you're putting money in, whether it's going into the Roth or the traditional TSP, you're, you're making a very wise decision, both from a tax perspective and from an investment perspective. So. If we were to look back, both of us could uh, comment on this. Um, Let's take uh, three parts, as I mentioned before, beginning, mid, and, and uh, late. 
the beginning career person you're talking to, and they might not be young, they might be their beginning career with the feds. Um, but what would your advice be with regards to finances, ignoring the ability to put money into it or not, just for a second? Well, I, I, I always tell people to, to look at their, their benefit package. The, the federal government employees have a desirable benefit package. Uh, they, they, they get a decent amount of vacation. They get sick leave. Uh, they also have a number of plans that they can participate in that do two things. Number one, they make sense from an economic perspective. And number two, they also help save taxes. And, uh, you know, the, the common plans, and uh, maybe we're a little bit late for this discussion, but they relate to medical benefits, as, as I'm sure you know, and I suspect virtually all of our listeners know, uh, that if, if you buy health insurance through the Federal Employee Health Benefit Plan, you pay your premiums on a pre-tax basis. That money comes out of your salary before it's ever subject to tax. So uh, that's something I encourage people to look at. Secondly, I also encourage people, if, if you have predictable medical expenses, you know that you're going to incur out-of-pocket expenses, expenses that aren't paid for by your insurance. Then I encourage people to set aside money into the federal flexible spending account. Uh, starting next year, starting January 1st, 2022, you'll be able to set aside as much as $2,850 on a pre-tax basis to pay any medical expenses that aren't covered by your health insurance plan, things like deductibles or copays. And then for the people who elected to participate in a high deductible health insurance plan, I encourage them to consider putting money into a health savings account. You can put next year, you'll be able to contribute, I believe, uh, $7,300 on a pre-tax basis into a health savings account if you're married and half that if you're single. And number one, you get an immediate tax deduction for setting the money aside. Number two, once the money is in the health savings account, it grows tax deferred. Number three, if you take money out of that account to pay medical expenses, it's, it's not taxable. And you can carry money over from one year to another. So uh, th those are aspects of the federal benefit package that I encourage people to take a look at. And if, if your situation is such that it makes sense to participate in those plans to do so to the extent you can. Very now, good. One of the things, one of the common mistakes that I think a lot of people make, if people focus on their tax bracket, they will say, if I get a raise, I'm going to be in a higher tax bracket and I'm going to be worse off than I was before I got the raise. And I always tell them two things. Number one, that's not possible. Because even if you do get a raise, Uncle Sam is only going to take a portion of that. If Let's say you get a $10,000 raise. The most of that Uncle Sam is going to take is 37%. So you're still $6,300 better off. You can't ever be worse off. And the other comment I always make to people is, look, my goal in life is to be in the very highest tax bracket because that means I'm making a lot of money. And, and for individual taxpayers, they're only in the highest tax bracket if their taxable income, that's their income minus all adjustments or minus all deductions, if their taxable income is more than $628,000 if they're married and more than $523,000 if they're single. So my goal is to be at that level. I'll gladly give Uncle Sam his cut, uh, which which sort of reminds me of an article I mentioned to you before we got on the air. I picked up the Wall Street Journal today, and one of its lead articles is that Elon Musk uh, is going to have to pay $11 billion in taxes for uh, 2021. Now, that's a horrendous amount. That's the kind of thing that would give most of us a heart attack. But I don't think too many of us are feeling sorry for Mr. Musk. He's not going to have to worry about where his next 
meal is coming from. So being in a higher tax bracket is good. Sure, it means you've got to give a little more to Uncle Sam, but it still means you've reached a real level of success. Uh, Agreed. Uh, Andrew says it's time for the second break, and we'll be back. And let's pick back up on what we were just talking about now when we come back. Who do you trust when making your most important decisions? National Institute of Transition Planning has been the trusted source for federal retirement planning, serving new, mid-career, and pre-retirement federal employees for more than 30 years. NITP's subject matter experts bring more than 800 years of collective expertise on federal benefits, financial, transition, and estate planning. Visit NITPinc.com. That's NITPinc.com to sign up for their free monthly newsletter and information about free webinars. Does planning for retirement seem like a daunting task? Is retirement years away? It will arrive sooner than you think. Prepare now to stay on track. Join the thousands of federal employees and retirees who have already attended National Institute of Transition Planning's free monthly webinars to learn more about retirement and financial planning. NITP is the national leader and trusted source for federal retirement information. Visit NITPinc.com to sign up for NITP's free monthly newsletter and webinar. Welcome back to the final leg of today's show, December 20th, For Your Benefit, with Tom O'Rourke, attorney at law, um, gentleman that introduced me to radio many years ago, and uh, knower of all things, tax-wise. Tom, we, we got a good few minutes left. We uh, were talking about X, Y, and Z before. Uh, any points you wanted to get uh, in now so that we don't run afoul of the last minute that Andrew will tell us about if we do? Well, one of the things I wanted to talk about, uh, Bob, is for people not to get terribly excited about proposed changes to the tax code. I probably spent more time in the past year talking about the repeal of stepped-up basis that was absolutely certain to happen. Now, uh, when some people might say, what the heck is stepped up basis? <laughs> yeah, what is it? <laughs> well, what it is, is your basis in an asset. When you buy a stock on day one, if you buy that stock for $1, that is your basis. If you sell that stock for $10, you have a gain. Your gain is what you sold it for, $10 minus your basis, of $1. Well, there's one provision called stepped-up basis uh, that affects many of us. And what that is, if you receive an asset by inheritance, your basis is not what what you, you paid for it initially, but the fair market value of that asset as of the time you inherited it. And a situation that many people in the D.C. area encounter is the the real estate market has been been very kind to all of us over the last 30 years. Uh, When people were buying homes in the 60s or 70s or 80s, maybe they bought that home anywhere from $30,000 to $100,000, and they lived in it, and now all of a sudden it's worth somewhere between $800,000 and a million dollars. Now, if, if mom and dad bought the home they've lived in for the last 40 years for $30,000, and when they die uh, 30 years later, and that home is worth $900,000, and you, their only child, inherited it, your basis is not what they paid for it. It's the $900,000 it was worth at the time of their death. So that when you sell that home, if you sell it for $900,000, you have zero gain. It, it certainly is one of the more generous provisions in the tax code. And by the way, it's also one of the provisions that allows very wealthy individuals to avoid paying tax. You simply hold on to an asset as long as you're alive and you never have to pay tax on what can be a substantial increase in value. Well, That's a very long-winded way of saying that over the past year, I I had quite a few calls from folks who were a little bit panicky about, well, should I sell my home now before they repeal this stepped-up in basis? And my answer was no. If you sell your home now uh, while you're alive, 
your basis then is what you paid for it 30 years ago. And all you're doing is getting a big tax liability. And they said, but what about my kids? What about when I die and they've got to pay this tax? And I said, well, if the law changes, you're right. They do have to pay the tax. But remember, they're getting a very valuable asset that they can sell. So they'll have the money to pay the tax. So I, I spent countless hours trying to talk people down from the ledge because of their concern that stepped-up basis was going to be repealed, and it, it didn't happen. There were other supposedly major changes which could have affected many, many people, many of our listeners, uh, that could have resulted in higher taxes. There was some discussion about raising the individual tax rate, but even under the president's proposal, that would not have affected anybody uh, who earned, who had less than $400,000 in income. Uh, so that was not something that should have been a source of worry. Uh, there, were, there was a proposal to eliminate the capital gains differential. Um, as many of our listeners, I'm sure, are aware, that a, a, a capital gain is a gain from the sale of an asset that you've held for at least a year. You got to pay tax on any profit you have, but you pay tax at a lower rate. From some individuals, it can be as low as zero if your income is below a certain level, which is right around $80,000 for a married couple filing jointly. Uh, but for most taxpayers, if they sell an asset and have a profit and their income is somewhere between $80,000 and $500,000, then they only pay tax at a rate of 15%. And there are a lot of listeners who have invested in stocks or bonds or mutual funds over the years, and they've seen those assets grow in value. Uh, and when they sell them, they could pay tax at a lower rate. Well, part of the president's initial proposal was to completely eliminate the differential in the taxation of capital gains and, and make all capital gains taxable just like any other income. Once again, that proposal went nowhere. And even if the Build Back Better Act is passed in its current form, it, it's not going to be uh, part of the law, at least in the short term future. So I, probably uh, the best advice I could give people is it's certainly prudent to stay abreast of proposed changes, but calm down. It takes a long time for a tax bill to work its way through Congress and many constituencies are very hesitant to endorse any proposals that are going to affect them adversely. And it, as the Biden administration is finding out, it's going to be, it's extraordinarily difficult to pass any major changes to the tax code. So uh, stay abreast of proposed changes, but don't get panicky if some of those changes could adversely affect you. So I'm listening to your comments and and um, I agree with all of them, but not everybody wants to read about taxes. Um, uh, they, not not, it, not <laughs> everybody. They they want to be told about taxes. So besides listening to our shows and going to the seminars at the different agencies and and the like. Is there a, a source that you can think of that maybe it's a, um, uh, somebody in the broadcast business that just talks about taxes and talks about them in, uh, in understandable language? Well, but apart from Bob Lines, there aren't too many people that know. <laughs> the, the shows that focus exclusively on taxes tend not to have a real long run on the air because – uh, I, I think you're right. People don't want to talk about taxes. They consider it boring. Uh, and it, what many people say is, look, that, that, that's why I go to see Bob Lyons, because uh, I, I, I don't know a whole lot about taxes. I depend on Bob to tell me what I need to know to, to make sure I pay the least amount possible and, and stay out of trouble with the IRS. And that's good enough for me. I mean, I I, like a lot of other people, read uh, periodicals to keep you abreast of taxes or things like the Kiplinger tax newsletter. There are uh, 
financial journals like Money Magazine and Kiplinger's Personal Finance that always have articles about tax that affect individuals. But but I can't think of any one really good source. Uh, folks like you and I who tend to do this for a living, we certainly have available many publications we can buy. Uh, but But those are not the kind of things that I think most individuals would be terribly interested in, nor would they want to spend the kind of money it costs to stay really abreast of each and every proposed change in the tax code. You know, you know what I like, uh, one, in, in um, teaching the uh, webinars is um, you, could, you can answer questions without talking tax. You know, if you if you use terminology that was specific to taxes, people people just don't understand it. And to be frank, sometimes I read the stuff and I have to read it twice. But if you can convey that uh, to people, or you can find a publication, there's an awful lot of um, uh, publications that deal with income taxes, and they're written such that you can read it without saying what. Or to be frank, sometimes you have to read it twice, um, or um, talk to somebody. Friends, you know, uh, uh, friends, if they know what they're talking about, that's great. Friends that have an opinion, uh, taxes aren't based on opinion. They're based on the law. So, um, you know, oftentimes clients will say, well, that's not fair. And I don't disagree with them. I say, well, it's not fair, but we have to toe the line. Anyway. Well, Bob, one, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Go ahead. No, uh, one of the things I tell people all the time is go to the greatest legal research tool ever devised by man, Google, and simply ask your question in plain English. Uh, one of the things I talk about quite frequently in seminars is how Social Security benefits are taxed. <laughs> and at, at, at the federal level, there's a very specific formula, but in the 50 states, they all treat it differently. So if you want to know how Social Security is taxed in whatever state you live in, just go to Google and type in, is my social security taxable in Maryland? And you'll have your answer in five seconds. Uh, so, and, and it usually, like many things on Google, if you type in, is my social security taxable in Maryland, you'll get something like 30,000 uh, places you can click on, all of which will hopefully give you the same answer. Uh, but using Google is a helpful way. Now, uh, I'm not necessarily saying if you have a complex question, don't rely solely on Google. You may want to bounce it off a knowledgeable professional. But if you're just looking for a quick answer, I find that to be a real good place to look. I'm sure you get calls uh, with regards to your clients, and uh, they say, I have a quick question. And well, the definition of quick varies with the caller. Uh, sure. but, but sometimes, uh, you know, they'll start going, I said, well, you know, we, we could do that, but you know, this is hard to do quickly over the phone. Or in fact, you could say, yeah, yes, you can do this, but you need to watch out for X, Y, and Z. And, um, <clears throat> they seem, uh, you know, happy with that. Now these aren't major tax issues. Uh, if it's a major tax issue, you want to uh, do it, uh, longer than a telephone call in my you know, say, hey, look at this periodical or that, but, you know, here's the law and here's how it would work. Why don't you take a look at that and, and get a handle and then let's um, let's uh, plan. <laughs> plan is a better word yeah. than scheme. Oh, yes. Uh, scheme is a word you... <laughs> you never want to use that word when you're talking to somebody from the IRS. <laughs> uh, scheme no. automatically conveys you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing. Yeah, let me say something about the IRS. You know, everybody beats up the IRS. You know, as a practitioner and you as a practitioner, I have found them very easy to work with. Uh, occasionally, like any other conversation, you might get somebody that's less than pleasant, but uh, they, you know, you can go back and forth and you can resolve an issue or just uh, uh, talk to them. And uh, um, they, they take a beating uh, but have not found them to be all bad. Now, somebody's saying, it's easy for you to say you've never got an uh, audit notice. Well, I, I can say that I have, and I, and, yeah. I, and it was fine. Um, you explain your positions and whatnot, and, and, and remember that all this stuff comes out of a computer. 
It doesn't necessarily come from anywhere else. So the IRS then has the job to look and say, do the things on this tax return look auditable or not? Yeah. No, I, I, I've been dealing with the IRS throughout my professional career. And, and the one common feature I've always found is that they're all pleasant people. Uh, you may disagree with them, but you can disagree without being disagreeable. Uh, and uh, most of the folks that I've dealt with are extremely knowledgeable, are extremely helpful. And, and my very first experience with the IRS was when I was personally audited as part of my clearance process to become an IRS employee. And I ended up getting a refund. The agent called something to my attention that I was not aware of and filed a refund return for me. Uh, she certainly wasn't looking to get the last dollar possible from me, but she was looking to help me comply with the tax law. And if that meant I was going to get money back, she was more than willing to help me do it. Wow. Andrew says, we have less than a minute. <laughs> I, 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 I've never heard you mention that before, but that uh, that's a great story. Anyway, final comments, Tom? Well, I, 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 for folks who are looking for ways to minimize their tax, start planning for 2022. You have limited steps you can take for 2021, uh, but take them and, and uh, make it your New Year's resolution to start your tax reduction strategy at the beginning of the year next year and not at the end. Well put. Perfectly said. Andrew agrees. And I think it's time to call it a day. Happy New Year, everybody. And uh, we'll be back. Uh, I guess we'll be back next Monday. You've been listening to For Your Benefit, presented by NITP and sponsored by WEPA. Please tune in next Monday at 10 a.m. for a topic solely devoted to you, the federal employee. This show can also be heard on demand at federalnewsradio.com. Search For Your Benefit. Thanks for listening. federal career can last 30 years or more, and so can your federal retirement. Tune in for your benefit every Monday morning to get the information you need to plan your retirement, maximize your federal benefits, and increase your financial savvy. For Your Benefit, presented by NITP and sponsored by WEPA, offers valuable information on topics of interest to the federal employee. Join us each Monday at 10.05 a.m. on Federal News Network. For additional information, visit NITPINC.com.